Let's turn to 1 John 4. Believe it or not, this is pretty amazing, pretty astounding, and not 100% guaranteed, by the way, that we will finish this chapter today. Again, it's not guaranteed, but we're shooting for that, okay, to finish the chapter of 1 John chapter 4. Let's read verses 18 through 21. There is no fear in love. Keep in mind, whenever you see this word love here, it is, as you might suspect, agape or agape, the Greek word for unconditional love, principled love, the highest form of love, the kind of love that God displayed when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Uh, For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this amazing passage that we're going to study this morning. We ask that you would just cause your Holy Spirit to do exactly what you promised the Holy Spirit would do. Jesus said he would teach us and lead us into all truth. Father, cause your Holy Spirit to teach us today as we study this passage together. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, the major theme in this chapter has been love. And John is known as the apostle of love. In fact, he's referred to in his own gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. They had a pretty special relationship, Jesus and John. And John is known as the apostle of love. There's no fear in love. Now, we've already learned previously in this passage that God is love. He's the very essence, the very embodiment of love. So we could read it like this. There is no fear in God. If you are in God and He is in you, then fear should be absent. Now we know that in reality we all struggle from time to time with fear, but I think this study may help us to overcome a lot of that, hopefully. God obviously has no fear of anyone or anything. He's omniscient, means he knows everything. He's omnipresent, he's everywhere. And he is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. God has no fear. There's no fear in love. There's no fear in God. So if we are in God, if we are in Christ, then we should also have no fear of anyone or anything. Having said all this, we know that many people do struggle with fear. And fear can be absolutely paralyzing. Claustrophobia, fear of tight spaces. Hydrophobia, fear of water. Acrophobia, fear of heights. Arachnophobia, how many of you know about that one? Spider! My wife, she has no phobia. She sees a bug. She's. I recoil. She strikes. 
It's been said that big things come in small packages. That's definitely the case with her. Whatever it is, the kids would get hurt when they were little, when they were at home. I'd be cringing. She'd be just, oh, you know, let's wrap it up. Let's fix it. No big deal. But, but he cut his arm off. It's okay. We'll sew it back. I'd be freaking out. Agoraphobia, the fear of wide open spaces or crowds or uncontrolled social conditions. Some people freak out when they get in even a, a group this size. So we know it's real. It's a real issue. It's a real problem. And I think it's an ever-increasing problem in the last days. All kinds of mental and emotional issues are becoming more pronounced in these last days. The Bible says that in the last days, men's hearts would be failing them for fear of what's coming. So this is perhaps more important and appropriate now than it ever has been. Jesus, in John 10.10, he said, the thief, Satan, comes but to steal, to kill, to destroy. He wants to wipe you out any way he can, mentally, emotionally, physically, and most importantly, spiritually. If he can prevent you from ever coming into a personal relationship with God, then he would love to do that. But Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly to the full, life to the full. And part of that abundant life has to do with freedom from fear. Christ died in part so that you could have freedom in, from fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, which can also be translated timidity or cowardice. God has not given us a spirit of fear, timidity, or cowardness, but, cowardice, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear emanates from within, does it not? From the spirit, from the soul, and then it works its way to the surface, manifesting in shaking, sobbing, running, panic attacks. And I know people who have never ever in their entire lives experienced a panic attack, and yet in more recent times have experienced. I have a good friend that struggled with them for a long time, and he's a believer. But perfect love casts out fear. The only perfect love in the universe is God's love, agape love. Perfect love can only be found in the perfect God. And when God comes to live inside of us, His presence should drive out fear. So, this is my understanding that to the degree that the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives... Fear will be replaced with, one, power, spiritual and emotional strength. It's not talking about physical power, although we know in certain instances when it's called for, God has supernaturally empowered people with physical strength beyond their own ability. Now, I don't know if this guy's a believer. Danny Trejo, this actor, that really gnarly looking guy that's always playing some big bad guy. Recently, he lifted a vehicle off of someone that was trapped. Seems like maybe a little help there, right? We know Samson had supernatural power, but primarily what this is talking about is spiritual and emotional strength, power, love, a right heart, agape love. 
He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. Boy, is that something that's desperately needed in these times. Mental stability, right thinking. And you've heard me talk about this a lot. There's a severe lack of logic and reason and rationality in our world today. There's a lot of mental instability. The number of Americans on various types of psychotropic medications is astounding. And yet they have ample evidence that shows that many of these medications, Ritalin for kids and the various medications, are doing more harm than good. And oftentimes these people who go off the rails and kill a bunch of people have been on one of these types of drugs. But the secular world doesn't know what else to do. They're desperate. But we have not been given a spirit of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. We've been given power, love, and a sound mind in Christ. And just as our, our friend Pastor Brian Davis was teaching us this weekend about how the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, he will lie to us, and even sometimes, as John mentioned, in the first person. And so you may have a thought, you may say, I just can't handle this. But it's actually the enemy trying to mess with you and convince you that you can't handle it. How do you battle that? You've got to stand on the truth of God's Word. Yes, I can handle it because I've been given power and love and a sound mind in Christ. Get thee behind me, Satan. The problem is far too many believers. Now, the, the non-believers are already in the bag. The devil's got them right where he wants them. But far too many believers are going through life listening to the lies of the enemy and letting him manipulate and control them. You don't have to do that. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But you've got to be in the Scriptures. You've got to know the Scriptures. When Jesus was confronted by Satan, when he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, Brian brought this up this weekend too, to be tempted by the devil, to be tested. Every time the enemy would try to mess with Jesus... Come on now, you're the Son of God. You haven't eaten for 40 days. Just turn that rock into a loaf of bread. And Jesus would come back with the Word, the Scriptures. No, 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 Satan. For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, if Jesus resisted Satan by quoting Scripture, what do you think we should do? But if you don't know any Scripture, you've got a problem, right? That's why we do this every week, week in and week out. The women do it on Tuesday nights. The men do it once a month on Saturday mornings. And we should be doing it at home as well on our own. There's an old expression, seven days without the word makes one weak. W-E-A-K. Get it? The less time you spend in God's word, the scriptures, the weaker you're going to be as a believer. It doesn't mean you're not a believer but it's just like the longer you go without eating physical food, the weaker you get. The longer you go without feeding on God's Word, the weaker you get. And then people are puzzled why they, they don't have a victorious life in Christ, why they're struggling in multiple areas of their lives, and maybe their faith is, is fading. I don't know if you heard about this, but a prominent guy in the Hillsong movement, worship leader, just renounced his faith. He says, I'm not a Christian anymore. And I've mentioned in the past my concerns about some of these groups 
and the worship music they're putting out, which seems to be very self-centric, self-focused. When you hear worship songs that are supposed to be to God and it's all about the person, you got a problem. And now we know why, because they're not rooted and grounded in sound doctrine. We're told to test the spirits to see if they be of God. And now here's this prominent guy who's been a role model to many, many believers. He says, oh, no, I'm not a Christian anymore. And then another guy, I can't remember his name, but he wrote a book that I remember many years ago we used to use with uh, our youth group. It was called Why I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Have you ever heard of that book? Uh, and he was promoting this concept that for young Christian, young people, you shouldn't be dating, you should be courting. You should wait till you believe that God has brought that right person along and then you begin a courtship process based on biblical model. And I think he wrote some other books as well. Fairly prominent believer just renounced his faith. Power, love, and a sound mind. Perfect love, God's love, casts out fear. And that love which manifests within us as believers, as we have discussed multiple times recently, it's the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, dwelling within you, and out of that walking in the Spirit, walking with God daily, being in prayer, being in the Scriptures, being in fellowship with other believers, that fruit grows up within us and comes forth out of our lives. So let me reiterate this. To the degree that the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives, fear will be replaced by these things, power, love, and a sound mind. And then the next part says, because fear involves torment, one translation says punishment, and if you look at the interlinear Greek New Testament, it's translated chastening. Now those whom the Lord loves, He chastens. But for us, the chastening comes in this life. We will not face a future judgment for sin. The great white throne judgment in Revelation 20 is for non-believers, the wicked. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, the Bema seat. The judgment for believers is simply a judgment for our works upon which we will receive rewards. The judgment for our sins has been taken care of by Jesus on the cross. What this means, what John is saying, fear, which rises up in the heart and mind of any human being, is ultimately rooted in a fear of eternal judgment. No believer should have that. No fear of eternal judgment, no fear of torment, no fear of punishment. That's exactly how the Bible describes hell. It's a place of eternal torment. A place of fire. A place where the worms feed unceasingly. And so forth. According to God's word, the real source of fear is the inner sense. Listen to this. This is really important. The real source of fear is the inner sense that we deserve somehow to be punished. And again, we know in certain religious groups, that fear is inculcated into the heart of every believer or every follower of that religious system. And that fact, that's how people are controlled. You know, I think you know which group I'm thinking about. And a lot of you came out of that group. 
My wife came out of that group, and she has struggled with this her whole life. This fear that somehow you deserve to be punished. Prior to Christ, that was true. In Christ, it's no longer true. In fact, to think that is to downplay, demean, and diminish the work of Christ on the cross. To say that I, as a born-again child of God, deserve to be punished, you're demeaning the work of Christ. He paid it all. Apart from Christ, yeah, you would be correct. You do deserve to be punished. That's why Jesus died on the cross, because God loves you. He doesn't want you to suffer eternal torment, eternal punishment, and chastening. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, when he's talking about communion, about uh, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, how that we should examine ourselves, judge ourselves, so that we will not be judged with the world. Self-examination making sure that we're in right relationship with God, that we're practicing confession and repentance of our sins. And that's another way that we eliminate this inner feeling of deserving to be punished. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know if any of you have ever done this. I mean, I think I've seen it done. It's kind of crazy, but some people have a hard time receiving. It's important not only to learn how to give, it's important to learn how to receive. Because when we receive, we're allowing someone else to be blessed. But it would be very hurtful and offensive if someone offered you a gift and then you turned around and tried to pay for it. Oh no, I can't. Let me hear. Let me give you some money. People, I've seen people do that. That's, that's hurtful. Don't try to pay me for my gift. Well, that's how it is with God. He gave you the gift of eternal life. Don't you dare try to pay him for it. Yes, serve him, honor him, love him, represent him, do good works in his name, but don't ever try to pay him for that gift. You can't. All the money in the world could never pay for that gift. There's not enough money in the history of the world to pay for the precious blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary. Now, talking about punishment. Second Thessalonians 1, 8, and 9, He, Jesus, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. However, in Christ, it's a whole different story. Isaiah 53, 5, and 6 he was wounded for our transgressions. You've probably heard it said before, it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So in Christ... We no longer deserve, nor are we worthy of punishment because we are not clothed in His robes of righteousness because our punishment was placed upon Jesus as He hung on the cross. So now we continue. John says, but 
He who fears has not been made perfect in love. Or, as you probably know, this word in the New Testament, if it's referring to anyone or anything other than God, it simply means to become complete or mature. So he who fears has not been made complete or mature in the love of God. They have not come into a full acceptance and understanding of God's love. As human beings caught between heaven and earth, that's who we are right now. You know, Paul said, I, I would prefer to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. We're caught between heaven and earth. Our hearts, our minds should be in heaven, but our physical bodies are still here on earth. It's, we call it the dual nature. We all occasionally struggle with fear. But the person who is phobic in some way is someone who has not yet fully comprehended or apprehended the forgiveness of God. That's how I see it. And I've heard people say this, well, I know he's forgiven me, I just can't seem to forgive myself. I totally disagree with that statement. Matthew 9, 6, and 7, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up. Take up your mat and go home. Why does this fellow talk like that? The Pharisee said, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Why could Jesus forgive sins? Because he's God. Guess who can't forgive sins? You and me. You can't forgive your own sin. That's another deception from the enemy. That's another one of those little things where the devil comes in and says, you know what your problem is? You just can't forgive yourself. You got to forgive. You can't forgive. You have no right to forgive yourself. That's psychobabble. That's man's wisdom. That's not the wisdom of God. And the enemy keeps so many people bound up with that. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't forgive myself. You know why? Because you can't. That's why. What that tells you and me, you haven't fully apprehended or comprehended God's forgiveness somewhere deep down inside you don't really believe God forgave you you've got to start believing that you see that then there won't be an issue oh I need to forgive myself oh it's actually a great relief to know that you can't you can't forgive yourself only God can you just need to receive it, believe it, embrace it. God really has forgiven you because what you think doesn't even matter. Even if you did forgive yourself. Oh, I feel better. I forgave myself. Paul says, hey, I don't, even if my conscience is clear, that doesn't mean anything. It's what God thinks that counts. So the freedom comes in fully knowing and understanding what God thinks, what God says. And God says, in Christ, you are forgiven. Hmm. Again, we don't have the ability to forgive someone else's sins. Only God. Now, we can tell them as God's representative, brother, sister, because you have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, you've confessed your sins to Him, you've repented. I can tell you in Jesus' name, you're forgiven. That's what I'm doing to you right now. But it, the power and the authority doesn't come from me, it comes from Him. So again, if we can't forgive anybody else's sins, how can we forgive our own? You can't. And you're not expected to. That's Jesus' job. So when someone says this, 
you can be sure the real problem is they don't fully believe in or understand the forgiveness of God. Let's move on. Verse 19, John says, We love him because he first loved us. As I've told you before, God's the initiator. We're the respondents. He's already reached out to us by sending his son Christ to die on the cross. And then here's another fallacy that comes right in with that. We love him because he first loved us. But you hear people say this all the time. I know I must learn to love myself before I can love others. Wrong again. Before we can love God or anyone else, we must first come to know, understand, comprehend, and apprehend the full magnitude of his love for us. We love him because he first loved us. He's the source. It's not a matter of learning to love yourself. It's all about learning to love God. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his, one's life for his friends. It's what Jesus did for us. 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. I like the way NIV puts it. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. To send your one and only Son, the second person of the Trinity, one of three members of the eternal Godhead, to send him to this earth to be humiliated, to be tormented, to be nailed to a cross for our benefit. That's lavishing love on us. This is the real answer, not learning to love yourself, not learning how to forgive yourself. It's just being saturated with the love of God, understanding fully and completely how He has lavished upon us His love. Psalms 31, 19, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. The, the Scriptures are just replete with passages like this that expose to us the riches and the depth of God's love. Those who truly fear God, which means to honor Him, to respect Him, to give Him His proper place, to exalt Him, those who truly fear Him will be set free from the fears of this world. Those who choose not to fear Him will be in bondage to all kinds of worldly fear. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? If someone, anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Again, John just lays it out there. Yes, he's the apostle of love. He's all about love, but not love as you and I sometimes understand it, mushy, ooey, gooey, wishy-washy love. God's love nailed Jesus to the cross. That's some hardcore love. Could it be the real reason that we hate? If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Could it be that the real reason we hate is because we're afraid? Think about that. Afraid that those we care about might love someone else more than they love us? 
afraid that the object of our hatred might take our job, our friends, our husband, our wife, afraid that they might harm us in some way, be it physically or emotionally? Could it be that hate is actually rooted and grounded in fear? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. If the love of God truly dwells within you, then you can't hate your brother. Love, whether it be love for God or love for your fellow man, it's not a feeling, although that's what we're taught growing up as we go through life, that it's all about feelings, emotions. Why did you leave your wife? Why did you leave your husband? Well, the feeling was gone. Just wasn't there anymore. Wasn't feeling it. Well, if you were committed... That wouldn't have resulted in you leaving if you were committed. Because commitment is not based upon feelings. It's based upon fact. The fact of God's love. We love Him because He first loved us. When we make the commitment to love the one who first loved us, greater love has no man than this. He laid down his life for his friends. He comes to live inside of us and when that happens, fear leaves, supposed to, and love comes in. I like the lyrics from this song by U2, which uh, several of the members of that group are believers, Bono, Paul Hewson. The song's called When Love Comes to Town. I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when a soldier drew his sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side. But I've seen love conquer the great divide. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch the flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. So he's speaking here of the impact of Christ in his life that before Christ, yeah, he let people down. He failed. But when love comes to town, the love of God, the love of Christ, then we're a different person. And I've seen love conquer the great divide. Verse 21, this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. This commandment we have from him. You know what? God deals in absolutes. Human beings struggle with that. Many people, especially in today's world, would prefer to deal in the abstract, in the gray, you know, in the clouds. Well, you have your truth, I have mine. There's really no right or wrong, it's whatever you think. That's baloney. God deals in absolutes. Right, wrong, good, bad. You don't really find any suggestions in God's Word, you know that? It's not the Ten Suggestions, is it? It's the Ten Commandments. And God can make commandments because He's God. He's the creator of all things. He's got the right to command. He is in command. He's the commander. This commandment we have from Him, the creator of all things, the one that knows everyone and everything inside and out because He made us, 
And therefore, when he gives a command, it is definitely for our benefit. You'll find passages where God will say, do this and live. Do that and die. That may be black and white, but I think that's pretty good, don't you? Isn't it nice of God to tell us, well, if you do this, you'll live. You do that, you're going to die. But that one definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Well, I know, you know, if you believe in God, if you, you, know, if you think the Bible really is the Word of God, then, yeah, I know it says this and that, but, you know, I'm going to do it my way. Just call me Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. The Frank Sinatra believer. I did it my way. And look what a mess I made. Do this and live, God says. Hey, I want you to live, but if you don't do that, you do the other thing instead, you're going to die. Remember what Joshua said to the children of Israel. He says, hey, choose this day. All the griping, the complaining. He says, hey, Israelites, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? It's a choice. One or the other. You can waste your whole life looking for other options, but there's really only one option. And that's to follow God, to serve God, to live for Him. This commandment we have from Him. He who loves God. Notice a key word here. Must. Again, an absolute. Not a suggestion. He that loves God should love his brother also. He who loves God might consider loving his brother also. He who loves God, well, could love his brother also if he feels like it. Is any of that in there? It's cut and dried. Must. The natural human condition is to be rebellious, is it not? To rebel against authority. God says you must love your brother. If you say you love him, then you have no choice. And the only way we can do that is with his help. With his perfect love. Perfect love is universal. It makes no distinctions. Whether it's God or man. Whether it's pretty versus ugly. Nice versus rude. Black versus white. It just loves. It's been said love is colorblind. It's blind in every way. Just like God's love toward us. If God would have given us what we really deserved, we'd all be toast. His agape love is unconditional. It just is. He just loves. And because of that, He's made a way for us to have an eternal love relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. But here's another important thing as we get ready to close. Instead of looking at it from the viewpoint of, well, I guess i got to do this. I'm going to have to hunker down, suck it up. Oh, I love you, man. <laughs> In the back of your mind, I can't stand this guy. <laughs> I've shared the story before of a guy... Many years ago, he had an issue with me. We're at a conference, pastors and leaders conference. Comes up, throws his arms around me, 
pulls me in real close. You got to pray for me, man, because I hate your guts. <laughs> At least he was honest. You got to give him credit for that. But I'm sitting there thinking, how do I do that? How do I pray for this guy who hates my guts? Lord, help him not to hate my guts. I don't, I don't know. How do you pray for that? You know? That was an interesting experience. At least he was honest. Well, I guess I have to do this. I have to love my brother, my sister, my friend, my any, because God has commanded me to do so. And if I don't, I'll get punished. Uh-oh, no, that's not right. Didn't we already learn that? Perfect love casts out fear, and fear has to do with punishment. We're not to love one another because we're afraid if we don't, God's going to punish us. Try looking at it this way. Man, I just can't help myself. I'm compelled to love everybody because God lives in me and His perfect love has taken away all my fears, freeing me to love anyone and everyone because His love has been made complete in me. I could not love even if I wanted to. Wouldn't that be a better way to approach it? That should be our goal. That should be what we strive for, to be so filled with that perfect love that comes from above that makes us complete and mature in Christ, that rather than, oh, I just got to do this, I'm going to have to suck it up. No, I'm just so filled with the love of God, I can't help it. I love you, man, and I mean it. We love him because he first loved us, and now I can love you. We just got to get rid of all this fear. We got to get rid of all these issues of needing to be right all the time because ultimately no one's right all the time except God. You know, I'll give you a classic example as we close relating to, to Brian Davis's teaching this weekend about the accuser. So one of the guys here in the church had uh, been in contact with another guy that used to go to church here, and I think he was pretty excited when he shared with this person that Dr. Davis, my friend Brian Davis, was going to be teaching at the retreat. And the guy's response was, oh, his doctrine's not right. You think I'd be hanging out with a guy for 23 years whose doctrine wasn't right? You think I'd invite him to speak at our men's retreat? But that's that accusatory attitude that comes from the devil. It's not that love that we're supposed to exhibit. Now, if someone's clearly wrong, you've heard me publicly renounce people before, but if you're going to take a public position and put yourself out there in the public arena as a teacher of God's Word, then you are held to a higher level of accountability. But these little off-handed comments that we make, these little critical comments, that's not what God wants from us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. And once again, those words from the song, Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down. But I did what I did before love came to town. When Jesus comes to live inside of you, love has come to town. Love has come home to roost. And it's a whole new ball game. And we all want that, don't we? We want that new ball game in Christ where we truly can love each other because we can't help ourselves. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's how God wants us to be. I love you, and I can't help it. Not, pray for me, I hate your guts. 
I just can't help it, man. I love you. Sister, I love you. God, God's love. I'm so full of God's love. I can't stop. Let's pray. Father God, we want to be that way. We know that's how you want us to be. And Lord, we don't want to go through life struggling with fear. And Jesus died on the cross so that we could be set free from fear. Perfect love, your love, Father, casts out how much fear? All fear. Lord, we ask today as we close, we sing our final song. Lord, I suspect there will be people wanting to come and pray and be prayed for and get rid of fears that they're still struggling with. Lord, we know that your desire, you said you came to set the captives free. And there may be some here today who are captive to fear, and it's time for that to end. There may be some who've been captive to this false belief that they have to somehow figure out how to forgive themselves. Lord, you're the only one that can forgive us. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who has not yet fully comprehended, apprehended, taken hold of that absolute, complete forgiveness that we have in Christ, that they might come today, receive prayer, and be completely set free from that bondage of believing that they have to somehow figure out how to forgive themselves. Lord, that they have to somehow learn to love themselves before they can love others. Lord, our value, our worth is found in you, in Christ, and the sacrifice that he made on the cross for our sins. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Lord, just do a mighty work in these closing moments. I pray that anyone and everyone who needs help in this area would come and receive prayer today, that the enemy would be defeated, that fear would be cast out. And perfect love would be manifest in each and every one of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.